If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. I'm your host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And joining me on the line, still on vacation, relocated, in a safe house of sorts. <laughs> it is seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer, Gareth Hughes. Gareth, how are you? you know, it, I have to say, just because I'm not at home doesn't mean I'm on vacation. Now we can just sort of work from anywhere. That is true. So, yeah. you know, like I was working today um, at my in-laws near Boston. Um, but yeah, I've been working. It just, it doesn't matter where now. So kind of lame, kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, I haven't left the house in six months, but... I'm glad you're uh, you uh, working across the world. <laughs> All right. So the greater Northeast. Yeah. So look, we had a busy show this week. We're going to get right into it. Our guest is Alex Goldman. You know him as one of the co-hosts of Reply All, one of my favorite podcasts out there. They do a great job examining the culture of the internet and just how our world online impacts our day-to-day lives and, and the things happening around us. By the way, they have done some singular episodes of that show, which I think are in the running for like the Mount Rushmore of all time podcast. I was going to say, did you get into some of your favorites, like the the great missing pop song and things like that? No, we, I didn't really talk about it. I mean, there's the whole like multiple part episode where Alex um, kind of develops a relationship with like the overseas uh, customer service folks there's that like you said the case of the missing hit which is like they go in search of a a, a long time uh or mm-hmm. they go in search of a pop song that's been stuck in some guy's head for for two decades those are truly fantastic but the reason i, I invited alex onto the show was because forever now i've been wanting to talk about sports with someone who is admittedly and unabashedly just not really into sports Stephen Colbert talks about that. Stephen Colbert is always like, they're just not my thing, you know? So like, right. I'm, I'm into people who can just embrace that. So I just said, hey, look, man, you want to come on the show and talk about that? And, and I think he was really good to do that with, number one, because he can just kind of comment on what's it like to grow up not liking sports? What kind of stigmas are involved with that? What kinds of pressures do you feel to... Um, uh, you know, to to know more about them or to take part in them or to head nod along with people as they talk about sports. But he also has that expertise in the internet. And we talked about what's it like to run into sports in online culture when you're when you're very online, for example. Um, what mm-hmm. do you think about the memes that that all of a sudden are flooding Twitter with Michael Jordan doing whatever else? Or um, mm-hmm. you know, what what do you think about athletes as internet personalities first? you know, sports professionals second. And he had a lot of really interesting insights on all of that. He also did break down the 1984 Tigers as best he could. Uh, Those of you who know Alex from his profile pictures online, he's wearing Tigers gear a lot. So we kind of break down his relationship to that team, to Michigan sports in general. And look, I think we had a lot of fun with it. I know I did. It was one of my favorite interviews in a while. And and I really enjoyed having him on and breaking this down. Can't wait to hear it. Roll the tape. And then, Gareth, you and I are coming back after the interview to do some distractions and not Stephen King related this week. We are going to be talking about what teams did you love? 
that just weren't your teams. You know, air quotes, your teams, full Bill Simmons here. Um, mm-hmm. This is something we've been circling around ever since we've seen other people in media do. I think Shea Serrano did a Twitter uh, thread on this years ago. Uh, I think you Mina mentioned... Like, Kimes Mina Kimes just talked about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just like which teams did you warm up to the most, even though you weren't technically fans of those teams. So I'm excited for this, Gareth. I got my list here. I've been changing it all week, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, here's Alex, and then afterwards, stick around. We'll be back to distract you. I do want to talk about the Tigers because the thing that strikes me is I I, I see some of your – uh, you know your profile pictures, and you're wearing the uh, the home and road Tigers caps. So I'm I am curious what your relationship is like to that team specifically. Um, well, my relationship to them these days is kind of non-existent. <laughs> right. I do think that like the 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 old. I think the Tigers just have like incredible aesthetics as far as their logos go like the yep. actual tiger logo is really cool the d the sort of like calligraphic d is really cool um it's a bit of a uh i'm from southeastern michigan signifier mm-hmm. um and, and i mean it was like probably the first major sporting event i went to i, I remember very clearly it was a detroit tigers boston orioles game in is it the Boston Orioles? No, Baltimore it's the Mar- Orioles, they're, they're Boston in Red Sox. Baltimore. Oh, <laughs> there I'm we off go. To a bad start. Well, no, we are off to a perfect start for this. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> Baltimore Orioles game. Um, but but it, it, this is emblematic of my relationship with sports. Is the most interesting thing and the thing that is most vivid to me from that game is nothing about the game rather i saw a guy scuffling with the police on a catwalk in the stadium (laughs) and that image is seared into my brain the rest of it i just it's just like oh people hitting balls and running around right um i i i there was a period of time when i i felt like i needed to know a bit about sports and like collecting baseball cards Mm -hmm. and mostly it was because the tigers had when i was probably five years old won uh the world series so that was a big deal yeah and the 1984 tigers in my opinion are like a lost to time iconic team there was a moment in time i think where they were the baseball equivalent to maybe the 85 Bears. Like, they were a, a singular team that had a wonderful season. They were like 35-5 and five at one point. Um, r- you know, just the epitome of, wow, everything clicked that season. And I feel like we've we've moved away from that, but I, th- I know from people from that region or fans of, of the Tigers still cling to that team very dearly. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have a relationship with them? I mean, we, you and I were emailing as we were prepping for this, and and, and we were dropping a few names. But do you, do you... so I remember I, I I mostly remember the, them as names and sort of like images on baseball cards. You know, like Alan yeah. Trammell, Lou Whitaker, yep. Chet Lemon, Lance Parrish. There were a c- couple of other people whose names, and then I also I also feel like again, the only other time I needed to know when uh i needed to know sports was when the pistons won two back-to-back championships right so like john sally isaiah thomas joe dumars i know all of these names um but i don't know much about them as players <laughs> well i was gonna I, I was gonna ask you like 
Because that was the 80s and early 90s was a really strong time for Detroit sports. So, I mean, you had in Michigan sports really overall. I mean, you had those Pistons, the Tigers were relevant. Even do you, I was going to ask, like, did the Cecil Fielder era get you into it at all? Because there was a lot of excitement around those early 90s teams when he was hitting 50 home runs a year. I do remember Cecil Fielder being a thing. There's a long fly ball to left, down the line. If it stays there, it's gone. It's a fair ball. Hit the facing of the upper deck. Home run number 50 for Cecil Fielder. He becomes the um, But I don't, I, I, it was not something that really got me into it. It was more like it was just like ambient. It was like sort of in the air in Detroit. <laughs> like, you know, right. Barry Bonds was the same thing. You know, yep. it was hard to escape Barry Bonds. There's a gigantic mural of him on the side of a on the side of a building in like downtown Detroit. And also downtown Detroit in the early 90s was in awful shape. You know, it was a it, it was a city that was conti- that was on a continued decline. And really, the only thing that people talked about was the sports. To you wait. You, OK, wait. And I'm not this is not me calling you out. It's me doing my journalistic clarification. Do you mean Barry Sanders, the running back? <laughs> yeah, that's what I okay, mean. Okay, <laughs> I was like, man, there was a huge Barry Bonds mural in downtown Detroit. I got to I gotta look this up. And then I'm like, I think he means Barry Sanders. Okay, that makes more sense. Wow. I, I mean, I'm really, I, I feel so typecast, you know? <laughs> it's <laughs> the it, guy well, who does the internet podcast who can't get any, any <laughs> of this stuff right. I think sports, to a certain degree, plays a an outsized role in our media life in a lot of times. Um, and I'm someone who has worked in sports. I'm someone who's covered sports to a certain degree back when I was in media and then doing this show, like kind of circling around the fringes of it to this day. And yet, I, I when people say to me, I wasn't into sports, I'm always like, yeah, yeah, fine. So, I mean, from your perspective, did right. you ever run across, and I'm guessing more growing up, but have you ever run across feeling as though there was a stigma to not like, you know, loving sports or, or being as knowledgeable or passionate about it? Or do you think that's sort of maybe a misconception? Oh, no, I definitely, I feel like, I feel like if you didn't like sports, you had to throw yourself into un, some other culture that mm. where there was like camaraderie. Um, you know, I was like, a, I grew up playing in bands and I think that that was just like my sports, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I where where I can't you know where I can't name you know I where I can't tell the difference between Barry Bonds and Barry Sanders apparently I can definitely <laughs> um, you know I can like I know the discographies of a million bands that no one's ever heard of just because that's sort of were the stats I was memorizing you know what I mean right. and it was the culture that I was like that it was the culture and sort of the uh, common ground I had with other people um, it just takes a different form I think. And I do, I do have to say, like, I have a friend whose name is Dave Iwaskowitz. He he gets season tickets to see the Knicks every year, even though, you know, they're the, they're the Knicks and <laughs> and people. But you know, he goes to see, you know, he goes to because he gets to see all the teams that that come through, right? So it's not like he just goes to see the Knicks. He gets to see every traveling team. But um, you know, he he, he is the only person who has ever successfully made sports interesting to me. Because he's basically he, what he does is he tells me about the personalities of the people behind the teams mm-hmm. and sort of the like petite dramas that take place here and there. Like, you know, 
how everybody on the Knicks hated Isaiah Thomas and he was like a creepy, he, he apparently <laughs> did some sexual yeah. harassing at certain periods of time. Like that to me is really fascinating. You know, the whole Plaxico Burris saga, it, mm-hmm. it, it really fascinating. Um, like there, there are really strong personalities and so much money and so ma- like such high, incredibly high stakes for the success of these leagues. And like that stuff I find fascinating. It's just like I could never pick a team to root for beyond just like liking the Tigers logo. <laughs> you know, it's a good logo. I mean, it's an all-time the home the home Tigers uniforms are an all-time uniform. So you, you, there, no shame in that. And I also want our, our I want if James Dolan, the Knicks owner, is listening, I I want him to know he should feel a lot of pride that a Michigan kid who didn't know. Uh, Barry Sanders from Barry Bonds still knows the Knicks are terrible. So I'm glad that that is cutting through <laughs> and reaching all demographics. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they, they really are. They really are bad, right? Oh, yeah. And, and it doesn't seem like... Well, and who was like their last star player? It was like Porzingis, right? Is that the guy's yeah, name? Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, I was revisiting the then, the episode you guys did where you, you were you were kind of breaking down the 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 Saffron Four or or, or whatever connection to Porzingis through uh, through a tweet. It was it was very good. You know, they have they they like once every three or four years they get one good player and kind of fuck it all up, or or that player stops being good. Like Jeremy right. Lin was yeah. a big deal for a second around here. Oh yeah, and I remember. Again, I remember going to games with Dave and mostly the highlight of those games for me is like Cracker Jack boxes and hanging out with my friend. Um, but but like at that period of time, Jeremy Lin was was everything. And then he just kind of fizzled out. He yeah. Had like one great year. It was a in fact, I mean, he had like one great month <laughs> with New York and then it kind of just went away. So I'm going to ask you a question that is going to sound silly, but I mean it. I, I mean it really Seriously, this is me kind of like stepping back and getting a, li- getting a little philosophical. When you're not okay. into sports, how ridiculous do sports look? Uh, because I recognize that just from afar, some of these games are built on the most ridiculous premises or they have strange rules or they just are like confusing. And so almost like when I, you know, when I went to... Um, you know, South Africa a couple of years ago, and I'm trying to watch rugby and I'm like, I just don't understand. Like, I, I don't, I don't get it. And I, I can't get into it. So from your perspective, I mean, I know you know how sports work. I'm not saying you don't, you, you know, you don't get how basketball is played, but do you recognize the ridiculousness of some of the things that other people are taking so seriously? Well, you know, when I was a kid and I was like, I'm, I'm a punk rocker and I'm like, alternative and I, I, I'm, a, I'm against all this stuff that's very popular and, you know, sports are trillion billion yeah. gazillion dollar industry or whatever that was among them and i was like Ugh, it's just like a bunch of you know meatheads who like love to watch people knock together and blah 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 blah. like i had this very sort of facile understanding of what sports was all about and then a friend of mine my best friend from high school this guy named alan hazlett who is now a philosophy professor so it'll make sense that this is this is came up with him he was like he was like you're just being an asshole what you have to realize is like <laughs> life life is a life is this constant it like it's like you wake up every morning you do a bunch of stuff you go to bed can you point to like any concrete victories you had in your day Hmm. or is it just like a series of events that you're just trying to navigate and not you know get hit by a meteor You, you watch sports and what you get is like 
you get the vicarious thrill of winning something. You're part of a team. You're not just like a fan of the team. You're part of the team. When they win, you win. And that that's like a really hard thing to capture. And that's like a really good feeling to have. And so like being able to ride that roller coaster, even the defeat stuff, like it's like a it's like a great way to feel to like feel drama and narrative in your life mm-hmm. when the when the, the hard truth as a person whose job is to like create narrative out of people's lives is that most people's lives are just sort of like you wake up, you go to work, you come home, you feed your kids, you go to bed, and then you wake up the next morning and you repeat it. Right. And and so like so like once I once I came to understand that to some degree, I was like, okay, yeah, I get I get the appeal of it. Still ne- not necessarily for me, but I really really understand it. No, I totally get. I mean, as someone who started working in sports, and my co-host, he worked for the Patriots and now he does uh work for CBS Sports, so um he would say the same thing. When we started working in sports, it totally changed our perspective of it. Number one, it's work, you know, it, 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 it just feels right. different. And number two, you see different, when you start to work with the personalities, you just, it's, I'm never going to throw something at Peyton Manning. He was a super nice guy. <laughs> the few times I had to cart him around for interviews and stuff like that. Like you just, you just kind of think about it differently. So I've always been more aware in my adult life of that spectrum of how we experience it and, and where you compartmentalize fandom and, and what's healthy and what's not, and that that sort of thing. That said, I'm also someone who my father didn't like sports when I was a young. Mm-hmm. I, I also didn't live with him after middle school. He, um, my, my parents divorced. But I had to make up my own fandom anyway. So people sometimes make fun of me. They're like, oh, you're a Cincinnati Bengals fan, but you're a Chicago fan. I'm like, yeah, I, I moved around. I picked up teams as I went along. I don't care. I, like, I don't need to explain why I don't like the Reds. I just <laughs> I don't want right. to have to deal with it. From your perspective, what was your what was like the, the relationship that other people around you growing up had with sports, and were they passive with it too, or were they pushing you to do it? And, and like you said, maybe you resisted because you were um, into other things, or just didn't want to be part of it. My my dad is a big sports fan, um, and I remember him taking me. So I like, grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I, I went to Wolverines games, and I you know I I, I went to. Um, both the basketball and football. And uh, my my um, my high school was kitty corner to the University of Michigan football stadium. So like oh, wow. it was it was inescapable. It was everywhere. Oh yeah. You know. Uh, um in fact, the one the one aspect of sports that I still find ridiculous and and have and have no uh, understanding of is um all the tailgating took place in my high school parking lot. Like that's where they would, everybody would have to pay to park there. And I would drive by and just see people just like off their, off their butts drunk. And, and that to me, I'm just like, I don't get this at all. Yeah. But, but it, it was, it was everywhere. And I think honestly, that's part of what made me not like it. Like I was, you know, I would work at the gas station on the, on game day and people would come in and be assholes. And I was like, Oh fuck these fucking sports fans. And like, and like I thought of sports sporting events as things that caused like massive traffic jams in my city. Yeah. <laughs> it made it impossible to get around. So it was like there was nothing about the my proximity to sports that particularly warmed me to it, you know. And I you know I we grew up in um Oxford, Ohio where Miami University is. Um so I also oh. know that like growing up in a college town is like a really different 
um, experience, especially for a lot of, you know, like, again, we were in a really rural community, but the, the town itself was like this weird microcosm of, of a lot of different cultures. So I also can appreciate how, even though Ann Arbor is not San Francisco, there's a lot of like thriving culture there, I'm sure that you would just be drawn to as well. Like you mentioned music. I mean, I remember being in Ann Arbor once and dudes were listening to like Dead Kennedys and I was in middle school like, what's this? <laughs> oh, dude, it, it was so cool. Like, I remember it was like, I remember one year there was a guy doing a a film class at the University of Michigan about Stanley Kubrick and somehow managed to get prints of every Kubrick movie. And, they, and as part of the class, the kids got to go see them, but they just showed them at the movie theater and anybody could play general, could pay general admission tickets and go see them. Like, I was so lucky to grow up there. There was so much crazy <laughs> stuff going on in Ann Arbor. I, can't... I mean, it's a small town, but like, but like, it, there, I was very lucky. If only uh, the biggest problems we had to worry about was our kids being like, I'm going to go see Barry Lyndon. I need you to buy me the ticket. You know? <laughs> yeah, I skipped that one. That one's too boring for me. Well, let me ask you, um, given that your expertise in all things internet, I am curious how you relate to sports through online culture, because I do feel like those, I mean, in the old days, sports was on ESPN, sports was on the games that were played. And if you you had to flip to a separate section, now I feel like it permeates a lot more of our feed, whether you want to see it or not. So how much of the sports kind of culture do you just soak in because of the sheer amount of time that you spend looking at online culture? Well, I mean, they also, they, they kind of intersect in weird ways, but I, you'd be shocked at how little I know, honestly. Um, we did an episode of the show. I mean, you did call Barry Sanders, Barry Bonds. So I'm not that shocked, but I, <laughs> I'm warming up to it. We, we did an episode of, of, of the show that preceded Reply All, which was called TLDR, about people who try, who quote unquote run from the knowledge. They play a game every year to, where they try not to figure out, they try not to learn who won the Super Bowl. Huh. That's the entire, the entire <laughs> object of the game. And they're they're all sports fans, and they they don't watch the game, and they then try try not, and it's sort of like honor system. They try not to find out. They try to make sure that they don't hear passing conversations or look at headlines and see how long they can go before they find out who won the Super Bowl. And I'm sure that I heard who won the Super Bowl last year, but I don't know who won it. I don't know who played in it. Um, I'm going to say the Patriots because that just seems like a safe bet, but uh, I don't. They did not, but, but like, it, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, it's really like, it's really like, I would say that like, it's only when the internet and a sports personality explicitly intersect that I hear about it. I would say that I've heard a lot about the Black Lives Matter stuff because that, is sort of national news in a really big way. And it's a really profound statement, but like more generally, like if, you know, um, Kevin Durant does something ridiculous or, uh, I don't know. Uh, or like, I'm trying to think of something else that's happened. The reason I thought of Kevin Durant is because he had that fake Twitter account. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that. I, fake, I, fake Twitter accounts in sports. I'm here for that content all day. The 76ers GM got fired because he was like liking, liking right. tweets and like doing other stuff like that too. 
There was that 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 basketball player who recently got a guy fired for got a sportscaster fired, and I can't remember exact the 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 circumstances of it were that the guy that the sportscaster basically shit talked this player, and then the player got back to him a couple of days later and was like, "Hey, how do you?" Or a couple of years later, and was like, "Hey, what's your opinion on uh, Black Lives Matter?" Oh, and his response was, Boogie "All Cousins lives matter." Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yes, Boogie Cousins. That's right. <laughs> So, so those are the those are the sports moments that sort of cross, um, uh, cross like my transom and like anything LeBron James does, basically. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, like, do you have a favorite athlete internet personality? Because LeBron is a good example of look. I I'm not saying that if you untangled his, you can't you can't untangle his athletic greatness and reputation from his fame. Uh, any more than you could make Kim Kardashian, you know, seem like she's not part of the Kardashians. Yet, I do think he's got a distinct influence and voice online that is more uh, more akin to, you know, somebody who is just, you know, sort of built a community or an audience who follows him for what he says and does online. So from your perspective, like, are there other sports personalities whom you've you know, just grown fond of or you appreciate as internet personalities? Um, I, I just feel like, uh, I just feel like, um, I don't know. Steph Curry is like a, is mm-hmm. like sort of like an internet personality. Yeah. Uh, Chris, Chris Cluey, is that how you pronounce his name? Oh yeah. Chris Clue is like the third guest we ever had in the show and, and provided our theme music. So I'm, I'm a big, we're big Cluey heads in this, in this, uh, area of the, when internet. you say provided your theme music, he played it. He, like he would, he was, he's the musician who recorded yeah, it. Yeah. So he's a musician and he had a band. Uh, it's actually, these days we use it at the end of our show, but for a year, for like four years, it was like the, the, the front music too. Um, Wow, and the guy he, contains multitudes. Yeah, no, he he was in a band. He's written books. Like he's a he, really super into um, like Warcraft and role playing games, online games. He's he's a really interesting guy. I I just sort of feel like so I I knew I I knew of him because I knew he was really into um, Warcraft originally. Yeah, and then he sort of became sort of like outspoken against like Gamergate and he, he got really into sort of, he's gotten really into sort of like the politics of being online. Mm-hmm. So he's a person who I'm just like, I see over and over again. Um, but aside from the big names, no, they, I really, it doesn't ha- happen very much that uh, I see anybody, you know, and except when LeBron James, you know, tweets at Donald Trump that he's a bum, you know? <laughs> well, that's the other thing I was going to ask you was, Trump, I think more than any president since, I mean, this is kind of sloppy. They all, all presidents intersect with sports, but Trump has really politicized sports. Um, and, and how much do you run into, like, for example, now it's now a big political talking point that he wants the Big Ten to play because those are swing states and he wants to position the pandemic as like liberals versus Trump and all this other stuff. How much do you run into that in the course of, what's going on online between how sports is being politicized. That, that is, I think right now, sort of the biggest, biggest way that I run into it. It's like, <clears throat> I actually describe myself on the most recent episode we recorded as a, as an internet rubbernecker, like a person who can't resist looking at 
you know, <laughs> the car crashes that take place on the internet. Yes. So when I see tweets from Donald Trump about the Big Ten, rather than doing what a sane person would do and just, just move on, I, I will dig into the comments and see how people are reacting. And there is a... The, Speaking of LeBron James, there's a very weird thing that's going on with LeBron James, which is, you know, he declined to criticize uh, China for their treatment of Hong Kong because of the lucrative relationship that the NBA has with uh, mainland China. Right. And so any time he criticizes the president or even when he just I think he tweeted something like, what the fuck's happening? I'm tired of this shit. Just like about uh, Jacob Blake, the, the, yeah. the man who was shot in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And all of his replies are people saying like, oh, you care about this person, but you don't care about human rights in Hong Kong. Um, so so there's definitely like, it's all... Pop culture is now, even as much as I, as my brain successfully manages to filter sports in a lot of ways, like pop culture now is just like a melange of concepts <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like everything melts together there's no there's no sharp lines between any any components anymore they're all on top of one another right yeah and and, and that's such a cynical conversation thread that's happening with the nba because i feel like the people tweeting that don't give a shit about <laughs> hong kong at all and they're oh, just no, kind of no, like absolutely you can't not. solve your thing until you solve everything it's it seems like classic whataboutism meets misdirection meets whatever but that said it is that's that's a good example of a conversation around sports that's almost reached me instant meme status because of how overused it is i was curious are there sports memes that you warm to or use in your general discourse the examples i i can think of are like after the last dance the michael jordan documentary played during the pandemic and it was such a phenomenon now all of a sudden you know, I always say the greatest comeback Michael Jordan ever ever achieved was not on the court. It was going from the crying Jordan meme being the ultimate sign of sadness to like Jordan just owning everybody online is now the ultimate. They they show clips of him laughing and like you know talking shit or whatever else. Are there different memes that you that that come out of sports that have become part of your online sort of nomenclature? I don't know the provenance of this particular meme but i do and it's not a popular one but it's one of my favorites um there is a um there is an image and i could not tell you what country these people are from but it looks like they're on a they're on a soccer pitch okay and it looks like there's like a frog mascot and the frog, ma it's a person in a frog, frog mascot suit, like a plushy looking frog person. And they're being carried away by a bunch of guys. He's being carried away by a bunch of guys on a stretcher. And anytime someone insults me really bad on Twitter, it's always the image I use because I think it is <laughs> such a funny image. Like just this, just this dead frog being carried off a soccer field. I just my Google favorite, that. It's like one of, <laughs> it's like one of my favorite, favorite memes in the world. I have no idea where it came from, but I wouldn't say that like <laughs> I'm out here tossing off Michael Jordan memes. No. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it, 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 it is interesting. I do think how, um, yeah, th there are certain sort of subgroups like NBA, Reddit, NBA, Twitter. Um, people always joke like, Oh, uh, 
Portland Trailblazers <laughs> Twitter is going to come after me and that kind of stuff. But you are very familiar with how those those communities exist online and the toxicity that can develop there. Um, we we on this show we've covered right, a let lot. Let me tell you, man. Let me tell you, there is a subculture for everything, and if you get on the wrong side of them, <laughs> uh, I, I, I for the past about a week and a half, I've had people. Um, I've had Zack Snyder fans, you know, the director, Zack Snyder. Oh yeah. Did you tweet about Um, the Snyder cut? So, so a friend of mine tweeted that, so I guess he put Hallelujah, which is a a song in the trailer for the Batman movie. And it's also like on the, in the middle of like an incredibly sort of over the top sex scene in Watchmen. And, and to me, it just, it just like to, to me, it's just like evidence of how short on ideas he is. And um, a friend of mine said, like, he's the dumbest person who ever lived or something like that. <laughs> and Im- and immediately tons of people with fucking, I don't know, with fucking cyborg as their ba- as their avatar or whatever came after her- my friend. So I said, like, you guys are all being insane. And they spent like weeks photoshopping my face Ugh. and just like just like just like being like you're a monster and all you people with blue checks are exactly the same and i was like i was like look you're trying to say that we're the monsters but you're the ones who've been doing this for like a week and a half like you're the ones who are really out of control here any fandom that you piss off in just the right way immediately turns into like a many-headed monster that's impossible to stop i just i just muted them and uh i was like all right well i just gotta live my life i can't do anything about these people well, look, right. you've been super generous with your time. Let me, let me kind of close out w- with this. Number one, it's a two-part question here. Number one, I, I think I heard an episode where you talked about playing basketball as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. What's your all-time like, highlight as an athlete? It could be oh in anything. God, it could dude, be like I, you were at Central Park and you like, did a, 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 caught a Frisbee on the run and, and did a flip. It could be anything sports-related. Oh, you know what? You know what? I actually do. I was going to say, like, my, my basketball career was pretty shameful. But uh, <laughs> um, there was a period in the late 2000s, like around 2010, and I got really into riding my bike around the city. Oh, yeah. I mean, I paid for it. I paid for it because I got uh, hit by a car uh. and spent <laughs> spent many months in the hospital. But um, during that period of time, I actually did the... MS bike tour, which is a, a bike ride through, um, Manhattan and New Jersey. That's hundred miles. And I completed it. And that was great. I felt very accomplished. That's awesome. I mean, as someone who I, I late in my life, I picked up like sprint triathlons back when you could do things like go to a public pool. Um, like what would you say to sports fans about, how to engage with those who do not like it. I, I'm fully aware that sports fandom is is an is a tribe of of people. It's a community of people that can tow a dangerous line into cult <laughs> cult behavior. Um, they can shame people who are not into it. How do you just want the the hardcore sports community to think about those people who just maybe it's not their thing? All I would say is that they should recognize that it's an expectation of people to like sports. Hmm. And there's, uh, I wouldn't say there's a lot, but there's definitely a little bit of like shame about around not being interested in it. Yeah. Um, 
Like I spent, you know, like I said, I collected baseball cards, even though I did not care. Imagine spending a bunch of money on something you don't care about <laughs> just so you could go in and be like, I got a Cal Ripken Jr. card. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it it's, it's um, it, just be aware that like, that like peop- the people who don't like sports, especially kids, are very self-conscious of it. Yeah. Um, adults, as long as they're not being an asshole, just leave them alone. <laughs> but right. also if you're an adult and you don't like sports, you should be like, chill enough to just be like, nah, it's not for me. Instead of being like, ah, sports is for me, dads. So, uh, you know, be nice to them unless they're jerks. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, this was awesome. And I, I really appreciate making time. I know this is kind of a uh, strange conversation to, to to have, but hey, forever. Oh, no, if- this was fun. I, this was so much fun. I love talking about things I know nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> and look, forever, you can just be like, yeah, you know, I was a guest on a sports podcast and hang that over uh, your <laughs> colleagues' heads, you know? You know, one of the things that I was actually, I made one episode of it. Uh, I made a show called, I made up one episode of a podcast called Sports Minute. And the premise of it was that it was going to be one minute long. <laughs> and each episode was going to be me reciting one fact that I knew about sports. And I made one episode with a friend of mine who works at Gimlet. His name's Chris Neary. And the first episode was me saying, uh, welcome to Sports Minute. In the '90s, there was a there was a uh, football player named Bianca Batuka, and that's the end of my sportsman. <laughs> Tim Tim Bianca Batuka. I don't know his full name. I knew he, he ran for like 300 yards against Ohio State. I can tell you that. See, I, I did not know that. I just knew that his name was Bia- like. I love it though. A name like that's definitely going to stick in my head. That's right. That's right. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll resurrect Sportsman. If so, I I hope I can get your endorsement. Please do. I, we will gladly share it. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media—they all do interesting things that reflect their personalities and passions and then we the fans and the media say that's ridiculous you're being a distraction get back to watching game film uh well on this show we don't agree with that which is why every week we end by telling you what's been distracting us and and this week we're doing a special edition of this as gareth and i finally tee up a conversation you and i've been having Oh, uh, over text message for like months now. We kind of we kind of talked about mm-hmm. this back in the spring. We'd seen other media do something similar before. Which teams would you say were your all time favorite teams who weren't your team? <laughs> that's that's right. that's the 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 crux of it. Which teams did you root for the hardest, the most? Um, even though you you weren't technically a a a, a full time fan of them. Gareth, as we're jumping into this, let me start with, let me start here. What are your teams? So I will claim having grown up in the Midwest, like the Reds and Bengals as a kid, I was a huge fan of. Um, I followed the Celtics for a while because every kid who starts to play basketball who's white near Indiana falls under the spell of Larry Bird. Then I Speak fell for yourself, hard. Man. I was a Dominique guy. <laughs> well, I then fell hard and considered my team to be the Knicks of the '90s because, like, I loved the, just the way they played and how rough they were because that was kind of how I played basketball. I'm glad you brought um, that up because I did consider you a Knicks 
fan growing up. You wore their gear, you wore their merch, you were a fan. Charles Oakley was my guy. Like, that's my favorite basketball player ever. Like, shoot 15 feet in, use your butt, rebound. You know, like, that's basically what I could do. Um, And then when I moved to Boston, I mean, my dad, look, you had something similar with uh, in your life with Baltimore. Like I was born in Vermont. Um, we moved to Ohio when I was like three, but I remember my dad following the Red Sox when we were growing up, when I was growing up because he, he, we had lived up there. And so he adopted the Reds as his local team. I mean, there wasn't an internet. Um, so it was hard to follow out of town teams, but he always had an affinity, you know, for the Red Sox and things like that. So when I moved to Boston in my twenties, it was pretty easy to adopt those Boston teams into my life and then ended up working for the Patriots. So was in the center of that. So I would say Southwest Ohio teams, the Knicks for basketball. And then because I ended up doing a lot of stories about them, um, I love, I ended up really falling hard for Mississippi state women's basketball. Ah, so th- okay. that was one I have been to Starkville. I have been to a game. And so that was one. And I loved watching them, even though they got upset by Notre Dame in the NCAA finals uh, with my daughter when she was young. So that was one. Nice, man. Um, my earliest years were Baltimore. My, my, my earliest conscious years were Baltimore. So I still have a soft spot for the Orioles. They're the only Baltimore team that I, I, I don't know if I call myself a fan of them, but I certainly was a fan of them growing up, like more officially. The way you were mm-hmm. with the Knicks when we moved to Ohio. You could just, like, but also, like, even if you weren't a fan, if I had a question about the Orioles or something was going on with the Orioles, I knew you would know about it. You know, yeah, in the same yeah. way you associate If you look at Knicks. pictures, yeah. you, I'm most likely wearing an Orioles hat back then. Cal mm-hmm. Ripken was my favorite player. It's the reason I never yeah. got into the Reds, because I felt like I already had a baseball team. And right. then I picked up the Bengals. I'm still a Bengals fan. And then... After moving to Illinois in 97 for college and staying here the rest of my life, I've eventually picked up the rest of the Chicago sports landscape. I'm a Cubs fan first. Mm-hmm. You know, we lived in the north side, just kind of embraced the Cubs. And then, you know, I, the rest of it is like all the other Chicago teams, you know, uh, Blackhawks, Sky, uh, Red Stars, um, Bulls. Bulls, mm-hmm. are, Bulls are probably the weakest link of that group like i'm just more of an nba well, you've fan lived there in, in a in a really bad bulls era yeah I, I do wonder if they had like a run like the blackhawks had or had a player like zion that showed up there or whatever would i be more into them so all right so that's mm-hmm. the that's the ground rules that's where we go and then from a criteria perspective gareth i mean it's like i was looking at everything from personal ideology <laughs> of the teams <laughs> to were they up against were they a great team? Were they up against a great team? Uh, were they doing something historic? Were they preventing something historic? So I don't know if there's any criteria you gravitated toward. No, it mostly for me, it's all player driven. Right. You know what I mean? Like I liked this player. So that's why I followed them. So, all right, so let's get into it, man. Um, I'm going to start, we're doing five each. I'm going to start with my number Mm -hmm. five. And this was tough. I had a, I had a pretty long list, so I, I'm trying to get this down to, to my final five. I'm going to go with the 1998 Minnesota Vikings. Huh. The the like highest scoring team ever. Yep. Moss, Culpepper, Carter uh, missed the Super Bowl on a kick, right? <laughs> I mean, 
they missed the Super Bowl on a kick the way that the Saints last or two years ago missed the Super Bowl on a pass interference. Like if the kick goes mm-hmm. in, they most likely win, but like they still had right. an overtime after that and like whatever else. I think it's like a, a, a really interesting cross section of things I like. A badass rookie in Randy Moss who was lighting the league on fire and was like mm-hmm. controversial and kind of making the the sports reporter set uncomfortable and <laughs> talking about him every yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was the Reclamation Project quarterback in Randall Cunningham, who I still have no idea why they didn't bring him back the next year. He threw for like 100 touchdowns. He, he seemingly could get mm-hmm. the ball to Moss whenever he wanted. They just didn't even bring him back. Right. And then I really liked Chris Carter. I really liked their uniforms during that time. And I just remember mm-hmm. watching specifically them in Dallas on Thanksgiving of that year just decimate the Cowboys and being like, this team is cool as shit. Open is Randy Moss, and in the end zone is a Minnesota touchdown. Yep, you knew they were going to do it. The fans knew they were going to do it. The Dallas Cowboys knew they were going to do it. You knew they were going to do it. Early. Well, like, I also remember, like, that was the first time you ever saw... I just remember young Randy Moss catching, like, the bubble screen where basically they throw it to him at the line of scrimmage, and it's like, it's cool. I'll just run it 60 yards for a touchdown. You know, like... Those plays are pretty you see those all the time now, but that was groundbreaking. <laughs> right. Know? And my hot like, take is if they if they beat that Atlanta team, I, I think they win that Super Bowl. I would agree with that. I mean, you know? it, it's impossible to tell because that Broncos team is pretty good on both sides of the ball, but I I just feel like they would have definitely made it a better game. So I, I agree. I agree. All right, that's my five. So, what what where where are you starting us off? Okay, so I have to say, my I had to give my phone to my wife to deal with some stuff this afternoon, so I don't have my exact years. We're going to go with sort of eras. I'm going to go 99-2000 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I just remember being, I was in college, I was incredibly frustrated trying to follow the Bengals because they were just awful. And I just needed a team that I could get behind. And they just had between Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks and John Lynch, a great defense that was fun to watch beat people up. And I really got into that team. I mean, the offense was a mess. You know, like you remember them like struggling through the NFC championship. Yeah. And against the Rams and whatnot. But like that team really helped me fall back in love with watching football at a time when the Bengals we're making it pretty impossible to love the sport. So that was, that's my number five team. Nice. All right. My number four, this is the only, all right. So I'm not admittedly a college sports guy much anymore. I mean, I went to a school, Bradley university, you know, they're in the Missouri Valley. There's no football. Um, Mm. We grew up in a college town, a little bit more immune to the, the pageantry of the sport. This is the only what I would call like college conference pride rooting situation I've ever found myself in, which I do think is like more of a generational thing. Like that goes back to the BCS era where, you know, when SEC fans started sort of to unite as a as one entity. (laughs) I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the only team like that was that Wichita State team of the mid 2010s. 
that went to the Final Four and then the next year came back and I believe was undefeated the they entire year. They lost to Kentucky and they in lost the to second Kentucky round. in the second round. And I yeah. I remember being so disheartened that <clears throat> they lost to that Kentucky team because I was like, it's just gonna like undercut what should be a a dead set argument of them being a great team. I mean, they went to a Final Four. They should have beaten Louisville that year. Um, mm-hmm. they, they gave them the best game, I think, of the tournament. And then they come back the next year. They're undefeated. And then it was just so easy for everyone to just tear it up and be like, yeah, but Kentucky, you know I mean? Like, they, they clearly another level. And it's like, fuck you. They, it was like a great game. It, it was like, if that had been the championship, they'd be talking about it like the 99 UConn-Duke game. That was a great game. That Kentucky team was a classic. Like, I just remember, like, every, they were like an eight or nine seed. Yeah. And everybody was like, this is a classic eight or nine seed Kentucky team because they have all sorts of talent. They just can't figure out how to play together. They ended up going to the championship game before losing to UConn. They should have been like a five or six or something like that. Like it was kind of ridiculous. And I still. Kentucky should never be an eight or nine seed. Like, let's be on talent alone. So I I still, I still kind of look at it's one of those that I look at and go, oh, they, they fucked over the valley. And I remember being mad at the draw. I remember being mad when it was happening. And just being really impressed with how the team played. And I'm like, if that had been an Elite Eight game, fine. Uh, mm-hmm. But instead, it's just all the same old anti-Valley shit. And then Wichita leaves the conference and it was like, oh, fuck, fuck everything. So anyway, <laughs> that's it. That's my only uh, Bradley this, Valley like, rant. I wanted this to like go into like a 15-minute rant on conference realignment. So, oh, well. <laughs> Some other day. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah. You're number four. My number four, oh, this is tough to say, Brad. This is tough to say. I really liked the Tony Romo, Des Bryant teams of the 2010s. I loved watching Des Bryant play football in his prime. I thought he was just, I had never seen anybody besides Randy Moss do, like he was just so physical and I like that catch non catch game against the green Bay Packers. I was rooting for the Cowboys so hard. Um, I really liked that team. And I think it was just something about like Romo was a likable guy. Cause he was undrafted and then established himself as a quarterback. Des Bryant. I just loved watching play football. Um, I mean, I was rooting for the Cowboys, dude. Like, that is, I don't know. That is, like, Notre Dame Yankee front-running kind of stuff. But, man, I liked watching that team play football, and I was, like, really upset when they lost to the Packers that day and remember it, like, very well. So that would be my number four team. An all-time botched call, right? I mean, he he caught the ball and lunged for the goal. Throws a deep ball to the left side, and the ball is I think it's the most famous catch call. Like when people think about those, that's one that they can. Yeah, we're like, like Red Fro, you about. know, like there, there are some others I think that are close, but it, yeah, of this era, maybe um, in a big game for sure. Right? Yeah. 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 No, the, I, but yeah. dude, I mean, that's pretty dirty. I just mentioned the Cowboys as one of my teams. <laughs> so, all right. Well, my number three, Gareth. Um, this was tough. I got a number on my list that like 
could be swapped in, but I'm going to mm-hmm. go with the Jailblazers. Oh, wow. Oh, the, RAP Cliff Robinson, by the way. Yeah. The 2000 Blazers were my favorite of those Blazers teams that were, I, I look, I remember being really happy in 99 when they beat the Jazz. Like, I think J.R. Ryder was on that team. And then mm-hmm. when Pippen went there, and they were down 3-1 to the Lakers, and they came back, and they had them on the ropes. And I was watching that game, and the Lakers just felt like an undeniable dynasty in the making. Like, I, it, it, And look, they won three titles. They went to four finals as a unit. Kobe ended up winning it with a different iteration of the team. But we forget now that in 2000, when Phil Jackson went there, people were like, they might win eight titles. You know, and right, and right. I remember being like, "Not this year." You're like, "Fuck this!" <laughs> this Blazers yeah, yeah, yeah. team with Detlef Schrempf and the corpse of who was the center, like the old center. Oh, um, Sabonis. Yeah, the and, corpse um, two, of Sabonis. on his bad knees. Yeah, yeah. Rashid Wallace. I, I just thought yeah. they were they were so likable and fun and weird. And I love the Blazers uniform and like the whole, just like the culture around that team. I don't know. I love that team. And I was really bummed out when they lost that game. (laughs) Well, okay. Then I'm going to follow that up with one that was on my list and I'm going to move it to this spot just to follow up on that. Cause it's about the Lakers, the Oh four Pistons that upset the Lakers playing team basketball Mm. in the finals you know, and that was a Lakers team where, like, they had Gary Payton and Carl Malone on the bench just trying to win a championship. And, like, I just remember Dan Pribble, our f- mutual friend, talking about it. Like, usually a team loses in the... F- I remember we watched the finals together a lot, he and I, and got really into it. Because he has family in Michigan, and right. so I had I adopted the Pistons on that. And he was like... He's like, it felt like the way the Pistons beat the Lakers that it was like the fall of Mordor, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> Carl Malone retires, you know, like Gary Payton's gone. Shaq leaves like the, the Lakers just totally had to retool after it. And that was like Rip Hamilton, Chauncey Billups, Ben Wallace had the fro going, um, you know, Rashid was there getting his ring size to his middle finger I mean, that team was tough and cool, not unlike those 90s Knicks teams, but they figured out how to win. It was also Larry Brown's only championship. I mean, the well-traveled Larry Brown. Um, I guess besides the 88 uh, Kansas team, but still, like, that guy, um, I don't know. And so that is easily one of my favorite teams that is not my team. But, man, did I love them. And Dan Pribble's line about the fall of Mordor will forever be in my brain because of them. Yeah, that's a pretty great call, man. Okay, my number two, I'm sticking with basketball, man. The 93 Phoenix Suns. This is on this with Barkley and Dan Marley and, like, everybody rooting for Charles Barkley to win a championship for, like... yeah. Yeah, dude. I loved, it was it's I yeah, loved go. that I loved that Phoenix team. I loved uh you know, Barkley was the MVP that year, was like so outspoken. Who's their coach? Paul Westfall? Yeah, Paul Westfall was the coach. 
they they steamrolled through the regular season. Yeah, Barkley's MVP. They go down 0-2 to the the like the the, the zombie Showtime Lakers led by James Worthy. Mm-hmm. Westfall guarantees they're going to win this series. They do. They 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 kind of get by everybody else in the West. They get into the finals. They lose their. I, I I believe all but one game in that series was won by the road team. They won that triple overtime game uh, to stay alive in Chicago. I think that was game three. I just remember being like, man, I think this team's going to do it. I think they're going to get to game seven. They're just going to figure this out, and they didn't. And I remember being super bummed out. And then even though this is just like a one-season thing, I, I, I did root for that team to come out of the West pretty much every year the rest of the 90s. And I always felt bad they were, for them when uh, they so, did. I'm glad you did mention them. They were my number one just because, I don't know, I just like I just remember rooting so hard for Charles Barkley. And like everybody wanted him to win a championship. Um, probably nobody more so than him. But like, I don't know, man. That was a... Uh, God, that was a fun year to watch basketball, but that was a tough championship series. Kurt Rambis was on that team. Oliver Miller was on that team. Cedric Sabalos, Tom Chambers, Richard Dumas. Do you remember him? Dude, (laughs) a friend of mine grew up in Phoenix on that team, and his dad had season tickets. And I have looked at Etsy at like the old big head shirts available from that team. They are out there. He told me not to buy him one. Do you know who else is on that team? Nigel Knight from Dayton. Flyers. Oh, wow. Well done. Um, All right, yeah, that's my number two. And plus, even though I like the 80s Phoenix jerseys more, I still kind of have some heart for those 93 Suns jerseys. Well, they the purple, the pinstripes, yeah. I mean, it all works. It's very much of a time, but I don't hate it looking back. So... All right, you're, um, you're number two. Well, I'm glad you. Well, I'm glad you mentioned they were. They were going to be my number one, so they'll be my number two. My number one, then we're going to switch it up to me. Then going first is also based largely on uniforms, but it was the Phillies teams of the mid '90s that never put it together with Mitch Williams and like Darren Dalton and Lenny Dykstra and a young Kurt Schilling and things like that, just because. My grandparents lived near Philly and we would, and I loved their alternate blue hat. <laughs> and so <laughs> that is what got me into those Philadelphia Phillies teams. I always wanted them to win. They lost that World Series. Didn't they, what? They lost twice in a row to the Blue Jays or just the once? No, no. So the 93 Phillies were a little bit of a um like lightning in a bottle uh, season the way it only seems to happen in baseball. They won that okay. division title. I don't think they ever went back to the playoffs. Got it. So that was my team. I loved that team. I had the hat. Got it. Did I want them to win? And boy, did they lose in spectacular fashion. There was a time. Um, I, I, I really believe, I believe the ESPYs created a category just to give John Cruck an award for his Letterman appearance. Like oh, okay. I, I just think they were like <laughs> best appearance in public by a everyone knew it was going to be him. 
um, mm. because that was such an iconic. When he told the story about Ricky Henderson. Well, you tell me how you got to be 29. Oh, I had number 28, and we made a trade for Mitch Williams. And I saw where Ricky Henderson gave a guy $25,000 yeah. for a number. Well, I, I got two cases of beer. Yeah. <laughs> so Mitch got number 28. Right, right. Or like his quote in Sports Illustrated where a lady saw him at a bar having a beer and smoking a cigarette, and she was like, I can't believe you're doing that. You're a professional athlete. And he was like, lady, I'm not a professional athlete. I'm a baseball player. Like, I don't know. That team was awesome. An all-time so, flex is him just retiring midseason to keep his 300 average, which everyone was, like, outraged about. But in history, it seems like a pretty smart thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Good for him, dude. Well done. Well done. Okay. So, my number one, That's Gareth, my number one. My number one choice, the team that was not my team that I rooted for the most was the Fab Five. Okay. I, I have no problem with this. But you're a Michigan guy okay, too. So though. This, this is the this is this is the sticking point here. Growing up, I certainly had an affinity for Michigan sports, but that was totally self-invented. <laughs> like okay. my parents didn't go there. I didn't have any family in Michigan. We lived in Ohio. Yeah, but in the Midwest, you just kind of adopted a team. Like, you would root for Michigan or Notre Dame or Ohio State or something. Like, I'm not mad about this. So. Okay, okay, yeah. That, what I'm saying is I, I bet people would say, people who knew me, like, who would play down the street would be like, you wore Michigan gear. You were, like, a Michigan fan. <clears throat> right. But only for a handful of years. I wasn't. I didn't care about Michigan by high school. It was just basically... Mm -hmm. Sixth, seventh, eighth grade, <laughs> and those right, years. Like, I like Notre Dame, with, but it, it's not that I like Notre Dame. I liked Rocket Ishmael. <laughs> that's you right. Know? Like and I, that coincided with Fab Five. Like I didn't root for Michigan or Desmond the, Howard. The, the, no, Michigan had Desmond Howard at the time, and things. Yeah. yeah so go so on. like, I, I really it was the Fab Five. Those two years, I rooted for tremendously to win it all. I do think they're a super iconic team. Um. I still, if you know, I watched the documentary a couple years ago and was like, oh, <laughs> you know, that, 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 yeah, that yeah. stupid North Carolina game. They should have won. I, I just think it was a fascinating time. And it was also a little bit of um, trolling as a kid who was newer to Ohio sports culture. Cause like moving there in the 80s, I didn't have, in 88, I didn't have any connection to Ohio State. I didn't have any, anything like that. So in, in mm -hmm. 91, their first, no, 92 was their first year, right? They played Ohio State in the Elite Eight. And there were a lot of kids in our school, I think, that were like, yeah, well, you would root for Ohio State, right? And you're like, no. I, <laughs> why would you root against the Fab Five? Why would you root for this Jim Jackson team and Chris Jen mm. missing, missing bunnies? Right. Oh, <laughs> God, that was a bad game. When you could root for the Fab Five. so Right. Then they had... They had style, they had personality, they were cocky. And hell, even Chris Webber going pro after his sophomore year at the time felt like the most arrogant thing in the world. You know, like, it's kind of awesome. It is funny that you say you were noted. Now now it's all flooding back. I can remember everybody's like, who liked what? I do remember you liking Notre Dame it, pretty distinctly. I like Notre Dame, but then, again, I let it go after Rocket Ishmael left and that team changed and became boring. 
<laughs> Real quick, a couple last ones on my list. Uh, Gareth, you're going to hate this. The 06 Colts. I just didn't want Manning to live with the stigma, and I just I really rooted hard for them that year, even against uh, the Bears. I, <laughs> I will still say that the 06 AFC Championship game between the Patriots and Colts is the best football game I've ever watched. I even agree with that. I love lost it. It was that yep. was that was a heavyweight fight. Uh, I had the 93 Phillies on my list. I had the 91 Pirates. I remember being shattered at that Sid Bream uh, mm. scoring play uh, that year. Um, I, I, I thought about 92 UK, um, mm. you know, the, the Jamal Mashburn team, but I just yeah, couldn't, I yeah. couldn't elevate them above the Fab Five. And then the, 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 mo- the, the last two cuts for me were the 94, 95 Packers teams that just couldn't okay. get over the Dallas hump and were yep. unceremoniously robbed of a home game in the 96 playoffs against the Cowboys in the N- NFC championship game, just because the Cowboys couldn't get by that Carolina team. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the 2016 warriors, I rooted really hard for that team. I wished they had set, uh, I wish they had won the championship and, and become the bellwether for greatness. I was really kind of bummed out. I mean, I, I'm glad LeBron got a championship in Cleveland, and I, I, I think the end of that game is a true, like, celebration of great... Sp- <laughs> you know, all three of Cleveland's big three had, like, a, a signature moment to, to like, finish yeah. that runoff. But I also just think it would have been really cool if that Warriors team had been the great, greatest ever. <laughs> like, I don't... Well, uh, and it, but it's, as is often said on Twitter, just remember, if Draymond Green doesn't kick someone in the dick... They are the greatest team in history. Well, it would have made the debate a lot cooler when this last dance stuff came out. Like, I, I, right. I really think that you would have had a lot more eye rolling from the kids, but they left the door open, and what are you going to do? But when they started, what, like uh, Believe me, Brad, I, I worked for the 2007 Patriots. I know what it's like. So. Oh, my God, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the one to me where still the best football team I've ever seen, and they just didn't do it at the end. <laughs> What was that? Where you're you're setting up the party and they're like, tear it down. <laughs> okay, so here's the story. So I, I like, I I went to most of the game and then I left around the time of the helmet catch and went back to the hotel. And I was in a I was in a broadcast truck like in the parking lot at the hotel watching the end. And so then the ball like the final hail mary falls flat, and I'm on the phone with the guys at the stadium and they were like, okay, don't do anything. Don't do anything. And we had the hotel, like all wired. We were going to broadcast from the victory party on the web all night. And they were like, don't do anything. And then like five minutes later, the call came in from, they'd all gone down to the locker room and five minutes later, the call came in. They were like, get it out, get it out. (laughs) All the evidence has to be gone by the time the team gets back. And so, yeah, we, got all the cameras out and things like that. I mean, I don't know. I even talked to a couple of players that night. Believe me, they knew what was lost and they were disappointed. But I think at least in that night, in that moment, they just wanted to have a couple drinks and like breathe for a minute. Like, believe me, I wasn't hanging out with Tom Brady or like Bill Belichick. I think they were in a different spot, but like some of the linemen, I think were just like, I mean, this sucks, but like, let's just, Take a minute before we yeah. really, you Bad know. Bad day at the office, man. <laughs> yeah, it happens. So, 
All right. Well, this anyway. was fun. Uh, let's end with some shout outs. Uh, shout out to Alex Goldman. Go listen to Reply All. Uh, go buy a poster of the 1984 Tigers and uh, Kurt Gibson hitting his other famous uh, World Series <laughs> home run. Uh, but seriously, they, they do great work over there. I appreciate Alex coming on. I had a lot of fun with the with the conversation. Gareth, any shout outs for you? No, I'm good. Shout out to Charles Barkley in 1993 Phoenix Suns. There you go. Shout out to Nigel Knight and the 1990 Dayton Flyers. <laughs> Damn right. And and Tyrone Hill and the 1990 Xavier Musketeers. Right. Those are the two. I love uh, the Twin Towers. They made it into the <laughs> the Sweet Sixteen. <laughs> Uh, and in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers. Stay booty. Now.